Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about fertilizer placement and timing. And this is a really interesting discussion, especially in light of this week's big news that, once again, a world record in corn production has been broken. David Hewlett once again uh, broke his own record. 616 bushel corn now. And you think about that. How in the world do you get 600 bushel corn? Well, you're not going to run short of nutrients ever. <laughs> not not at all through that life of the corn plant. So placement and timing is going to be critical for him. But you know what? It's critical for all of us, regardless of our yield level. If we put money into fertilizer on our farm, we want to see that pay off for us. We want to have a really good return on investment. So getting it in a place where the plant can use it, having the right forms of fertilizer out there. Um, you know, what are what are these guys doing? Look at how many guys were over 300 bushel corn. And it's just amazing in, in the contest all the way around the country. There are some guys pushing 300 bushel corn in North Dakota this year. That's fantastic. And they did not have the greatest growing season in the world. So there, there's some people doing more with some of the same inputs that all of us are using, and it behooves all of us to to learn what's going on. What what are they doing different? How are they putting it out there? So it's one of the reasons we're having the show today. We've got some guests that are going to be on uh, talking about some of the things they're learning about placement and, and timing of fertility, but we'd love to hear from you as well. If we all share notes, we learn that much faster. I was recently in a, a group of farmers that get together and talk about how their production went and what things they're trying and so forth. And they said, you know what? If we've got a group of us together all sharing information with each other, we move ahead. If there's 10 of us, well, we just got 10 years worth of production notes in one year. So we're 10 times better or close to it than if we were just doing it on our own. And, you know, I'm not sure if they're 10 times better, but they're definitely a lot further down the road to figuring things out when they can have multiple guys in the group trying the same things and they get a lot of different reps under a lot of different conditions and management practices to see what's really working. I'd encourage you, too, to consider uh, getting involved with your friends or your relatives or uh, you can get in a group like uh, Randy Dowdy's Next Level program that, that he started. Um, fantastic places where, where you can learn more and, and move forward on your farm. So in terms of uh, fertility placement and timing, for us, a lot of times on our farm, we're in heavy soils in a fairly dry climate. We've got some different rules than people who are in areas of heavy rainfall and very light soils, clearly. So we're... In those situations, you don't want to put a whole lot of nutrients out well in advance, especially ones that can leach through the soil. In our environment, our ground is frozen for six months out of the year, and if you've got nutrients down safely under the soil surface, they're not going anywhere and they're not getting used up, and that's a, a pretty nice um, advantage to have. Now, you may say, well, yes, but you have to live in frozen temperatures for half the year. I get it. That's the disadvantage. Uh, so generally when I am uncomfortable, things are good for crop production. I mean, look at it in the summer when it's super hot and humid in our neck of the woods. Well, that's great corn growing weather, but it's miserable to be outside. And here we are. Uh, we got some good things going on in the soil. We're protecting nutrients and so forth. We're killing off disease and bugs and that type of thing. But the downside is it's miserable for us to be outside some days. 
All right. So with our farm fertilizer placement, we look at nutrients that don't move very much in heavy soil, like potassium and phosphorus and zinc, those types of nutrients. In our soil, they don't move much. In other parts of the country and around the world, we hear, hey, you know what? Potassium really does move in our lighter soils with heavy rainfall. I get it. So in your area, that probably doesn't work. But maybe you could use some phosphorus or maybe you could use some zinc that don't move as much as what potassium could in those types of environments. But again, in our dry climate, heavy soils, we can get a lot of those things out and put them in place in the fall. However, in the fall of 2018, we were able to do about zero fall fertility work. So we had to do a lot of our timing of fertility applications in the spring. And what's interesting about that, well, it's harder for us because that's just one more job that has to get done in the spring. And we'd prefer to just be able to go ahead and plant. You know, we put it out there closer to when the plant was going to need it. And you don't have as much loss that way. Now, this year we did have double annual rainfall and it all happened in the spring and in the fall. So, yeah, some of those nutrients probably didn't stay exactly where we wanted them to be. But uh, still, we're playing the odds game here. And nine out of ten times we can put stuff out in the fall and we'll be great. And that really does save us a lot in the spring. And it gives us uh, in the fall a chance to get things out there, get them in place when the soils are relatively dry, which, again, this year in some areas wasn't the case. But uh, for us, the soils were relatively dry and we could actually get stuff done. So that was kind of fun this year. But in 2018, we didn't get that opportunity. So it just varies from year to year. And you've got to have not only your plan A ready, but you have to have your plan B. For example, 2018 in the fall, we were planning on putting a bunch of manure on our ground. And we had talked to uh, somebody who had a lot, of, a lot of manure and they said, yep, that would be great. Let's get it out there. In fact, we talked to uh, a couple different places that had a lot of manure and we were all excited about doing that in 2018 and then it just got so wet that, that it couldn't happen, and then it got late, and then uh, the people pumping out pits and that kind of thing, they were just super tied up with whoever was desperate and for sure couldn't make it till spring. And so our plan A quickly turned to, well, we just can't get you the manure like you were planning. So we had to run with plan B. But that's fine because we had a plan B in place. So I just encourage you with the fertilizer timing and placement, have your plan A and have your plan B. Now, here's another thing. We talked to a lot of farmers, including some that were speaking at our Ag PhD field day last summer, and they were saying, oh, you want to time it out at V3 or at V5 in corn. And they had a bunch of different growth stages that they talked about. And it's great to have a plan of, all right, I'm going to do it at this stage. But what if you can't? Do you need a percentage of your acres that you did in advance just because you knew there's no way you'd get across all those acres at the same time at that very specific crop timing? I uh, just need to talk about that on your farm operation and make sure you're set up with the equipment to execute whatever plan A or plan B is for your farm. All right, we're going to talk about fertilizer placement and timing on our show today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're taking your calls and questions. Uh, if you want to talk about fertility placement and timing on your farm, we'd love to hear what your plan A is, or maybe even your plan B. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Sit down in Nebraska, talk to our friend Ty Fickenshire there. Ty, uh, one of the things that we do for placement and timing of our fertility program at our farm is put it out with a strip-till rig. I know uh, you've got a lot of folks around you doing the same thing. Yeah, definitely. There's been a, a kind of seeing a big switch to strip-till from you know no-till applications in our area and you know, getting that fertilizer into the soil where there's more root availability and less chance of a runoff has definitely been kind of one of the key factors for it. You know, the, the question, though, we've gotten in our plan A is, hey, if we can get out and strip till in some P and K and maybe some micros, too, we'd like to do that in the fall. But we didn't get over all our acres. And I know quite a few farmers out there are in the same boat. Talk to us about spring applications and, and what you're seeing. Yeah, and, and I'd say that's probably the case uh, in a lot of places here this fall, definitely, Darren. But uh, looking at, at uh, more spring applications, um, you know, typically crop safety is not an issue if we get in, get into that strip, uh, you know, well ahead of planting. Um, but definitely want to watch our, our high salt nutrients um, ahead of planting if we're getting too close to that time frame, especially if we're looking at cool and, and wet conditions. Or we don't want to follow the planter too closely behind the strip till application in that case. Let me ask you about a few nutrients in, in particular here, and one of them is sulfur. We're getting a lot of questions about sulfur, a lot of interest uh, across North America about, hey, I'm seeing a response on sulfur. What are some different ways I could put it out there? And we always get asked about strip-till. What, what's your opinion of putting some sulfur in the strip-till pass? Well, I know, again, looking at the spring, I, I like looking at the AMS. Um, of course, we've got to watch you know, how, how closely the planter follows the, the strip application. 
Um, you know, another another approach, if, if you have the luxury of being able to put fertilizer on through a pivot, you know, we look at how we can put some thiosol possibly with uh, some UAN through the pivot as well. But, you know, with that, that spring strip kill application, um, getting some sulfur out there, you know, certainly helps protect that, that seed early in, in its life and uh, and get some good rapid growth early in the season for sure. Nice, nice dark green color from it. Yeah, we like to do sulfur and nitrogen in a broadcast with our pre-emerge herbicide. We find we get good soil movement through most of our soils on nitrogen and sulfur, and at least with a portion of our nitrogen and sulfur that we're putting out there. And that's one way to kind of increase the safety factor where it's spread out over a little broader area. We don't see as much of a benefit in the strip as we do with P and K. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about is micros. That's one that we really like putting in our strip. Are you seeing more guys doing that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say probably the three most common weeks we've been putting in the strip is zinc, boron, and, and uh, manganese. Um, you know, getting those uh, getting those right down where the roots are going to have a much better chance of intercepting those uh, lower use rates and the, and the pearls of fertilizer. Um, definitely a, a pretty pretty easy way to get some nutrients right down where the roots have active uh, or able to get to it quickly. Yeah, I found it really interesting this summer. We did a lot of digging in our strip till and where we saw just such a concentration of roots through that zone. And man, if we can get all our nutrients right in that same zone where our root systems are at, it, it just seems like a no-brainer. Uh, we're talking with Ty Fickenshire down in Nebraska. He's with Luma. Uh, Ty, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on again. You bet. Thank you, Darren. Let's head up uh, uh, to the Minnesota-Wisconsin area, and boy, that's a that's a tricky combination there for Tim Gabrielson to run between Minnesota and Wisconsin. Boy, those are some tough, wet areas this year, Tim. Yeah, it's a swamp out here, Brian. Uh, thank you for having, or Darren, thank you for having me on today. Yeah, you know, it, there are a lot of challenges. And I, I mentioned as we started the show off, we're talking fertilizer placement and timing. And certainly with the work you do with AgriLiquid, you get involved in a lot of these discussions on the farm. Not only having a plan A of, okay, if everything goes well, here's what I'd like to do. But having a plan B is important too. And we, we ended up having to lean on that. We like to put a lot of stuff in a fall strip till, but wow, used a, a lot of AgriLiquid product in the spring right with our planner. That was always a good fallback option for us what did you see across the territory you were in did guys have to change their plans a lot you know a, a lot of growers did we we had so much rain up here uh darren and uh, one of the interesting things you know you have such a great opportunity to learn in a tough year and uh we really we, we really saw the difference between a liquid program versus a spring applied dry program this year with uh the corn tasting up to eight days ahead of the dry fertilizer programs yeah, you're not the first one to say that. Uh, we, we've had some farmers on, too, that said, you know, I ended up having to go to a liquid program more so than what I was planning on. And wow, uh, we saw a big difference getting there quicker to tassel, which this year meant the difference for uh, quite a few of the guys we've talked to of several points in moisture the way it turned out. Oh, yeah. You look at it around here, you take eight days at even only a half a point per day. You know, on 200 bushel corn, that's $24 per acre in uh, fuel savings and, and dryer costs. And uh, and like you mentioned, the chance to actually get to black, black layer where you may not have in a lot of varieties this year. 
You know, we, we hear about uh, liquid products getting used, especially as a starter, not not necessarily as feeding the whole crop. But we hear guys say, well, you know, some years my starter pays, some years it doesn't. But I wonder how they're judging the metrics because on our farm, we almost always notice we're getting to tassel faster. Is that a common thing? It's, it's a very common thing. And, you know, even when you have high uh, soil test levels for phosphorus and zinc, you know, the, the soil doesn't really release that until it gets to about uh, 62 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. And, and so, you know, when corn germinates at 50, having those nutrients there readily available and ready to go to work can, can make a big difference in, in plant health. You know, when you look at, at corn germination and, and just getting going at the start of the year, we had a lot of guys that had cold conditions, wet conditions. Uh, the safety factor with fertilizer has got to be huge once again in 2020. Oh yeah, de- definitely. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, you, you look at where we're at up here and I, I get that it varies quite a bit across the corn belt, but we're probably one good rain away from no pun intended being in, in the same boat next spring. And so going liquid and especially with the infra programs, you know, the preventive plant acres, um, are, are not even a factor because you don't have that investment out there. So even on a risk management point of view, uh, infra liquid programs, really look to be the way to go versus spring dry applied when you uh, don't have that tillage done. So Yeah, the availability of fertilizer is just a, a huge thing as well. And you're, you're right. People think, oh, it's going to be more expensive if I go that way, but that's definitely not the case. And the other thing that I hear a lot, Tim, is guys say, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have more expense or I need to cut my expenses. And they're talking about cutting out micros. And I think it's crazy. On our farm, I wouldn't even consider it. But uh, do you see that being a big problem uh, in 2019? Are you hearing some of that talk for 2020, or or is that a, a non-issue? Well, I think in general across the Corn Belt, you know, we've we've pulled off some fantastic yields with these new hybrids. And, and uh, I think in general, I'm talking to my, my uh, soil test labs, Ag Vice and uh, Midwest, we're kind of seeing a general overall degrading of soil test levels across all the nutrients and so you know as i look at it if you're broadcasting a micronutrient i would strongly consider putting that in furrow not only to save you money but also to have a better uh, fertilizer program uh, i think we heard earlier that with zinc boron and manganese uh, the big three uh, it, it's really crucial to have them in a strip till or in furrow and uh for some of the guys up here, just moving from three to five pounds of manganese sulfate broadcast to an infra program, you save $11 per acre plus have a better fertilizer program. So I think using the right nutrient in the right way is more crucial and a better management decision versus cutting back. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think our topic, fertilizer placement and timing, is one we'll definitely be having a couple more times heading into this coming spring because. Wow, I know there are a lot of challenges out in the field. Again, we definitely don't want to see our crop short of fertility or it just adds more stress to a crop that is already in a hurry to try to make it. been talking with Tim Gabrielson with AgriLiquid. Tim, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us, and hopefully you get a lot of sunshine in your area from here till spring. Thank you, Darren. You and your guests have a very Merry Christmas. Bet. Thanks, Tim. You as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy Two Save Three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Graze On Next herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze On Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Graze On Next. Always read and follow label directions. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open throughout the show today. If you have an agronomic question or would like to talk about what's going on on your farm, or maybe you're not a farmer and just kind of wondering what we're talking about, that's uh, fine too. If you want to call in and chat a little bit, it's 844 44 PhD. Got our friend Chris Larson on right now with Case IH, and Chris also farms, as you'll find many of the Case IH folks do. That's one thing that's been kind of interesting, uh, getting to know some folks in that country or in that company. Uh, not only do they have the stress of a day a day job, they also have the increased stress of farming through the last couple of years' weather that we've had. Chris, uh, thanks for joining us today. Might have stressed Chris out too much. Chris, you there? 
I, I am here. Oh, I'm there here. we go. Sorry, Sorry that. We... Have my apologies. There's a mute button thing happening. That's okay. Hey, uh, you know, thinking about your farm, how did you guys turn out this fall? Did you get everything out, and, and what's it look like in your fields? Yeah, in northeast Iowa, we, we did really, really quite well. Oh, we were very blessed. Uh, things came out nicely, uh, and and we're we're uh, um, looking pretty good, actually, in our fields. We're, I guess, wet here towards the end, but uh, but uh, certainly a topic today on fertilizer. We, we got all that booked yesterday, and they'll probably go out and spread a little bit here, and and uh, getting our strip till plan for next uh, next spring. You know, we look at fertility as a all right. What's plan A? And then if plan A doesn't work out due to weather or supplies or who knows what, uh, we got to have a plan B because we know for sure we want to get a crop in and we got to feed it. Well, what are some of the ways uh, that you're putting on fertilizer on your farm, and what are some that that you're working with uh, with through Case IH as well? Yeah. Um, well, well, certainly uh, the 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 way that we've done it at least on the farm for the last couple of years is is obviously getting ourselves a base and know what the heck is going on out there so yep. sampling in the smallest grid size possible and then we come back and normally are building um anything that we need to do there with uh with a spread application of 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 a prescription to build and then we'll we'll come over and and uh add the last bit on 100 and 200 pounds, whatever it might be, of PNK with with in strips uh, for, for strip till in the spring, and that's worked out well. Just uh, being able to incorporate the fertilizer, get it to the root zone growing area, and uh, you know then come back with with, with nitrogen side dressed. And you know the things that we've seen at, at Case IH uh, at applications is you know a lot more uh, y- you know a little more adoption of strip till, um, and, and certainly a fall or spring application that's. That's uh, been been good, and then um, you know we released a, a product called the High Speed Low Disturbance uh, Application Systems, which gives us uh, ability really to um, a- apply in an area uh, at at high speeds and, and really low disturbance. So it almost looks like no-till for those areas that really aren't uh, wanting to disturb the surface very much. So those are a couple practices that we've we've kind of seen grow. So high speed, low disturbance, Coulter's is that what we're talking about? It is, yeah, yeah. It's coulter at about eight, nine degrees uh, that that can put uh, nitrogen or dry application or dual products on up to six, seven inches deep. And uh, really, you come back the next day, you hardly can tell that you were even in the field. Uh, it's, it's that much of, of a low disturbance. I get a lot of questions around that because we have so many farmers that have got hilly ground or they're very concerned about erosion and they want to have a minimal impact to, to what they've got, whether it be a cover crop or just residue from the previous crop out there. Where are you seeing this really being adopted? I would I would assume this has got to be pretty widely adopted. It is, you know, and, and again, it's those areas that are looking exactly at those things that you were just mentioning, Darren, the the, the Southern uh, areas of Iowa, for example, of Missouri, you know those those highly erodible areas, uh, and also for for folks that may be a little stressed on time too. It doesn't have to be just uh, um, you know for those highly erodible areas. It's it's high stress, high high low, low amounts of time available when you can, you know, we have a bar that's 65 feet wide that can go 11 miles an hour. Um, it's you, you can put on some serious fertilizer in, in a very short period of time. You can cover some ground, no doubt about that. Okay. The other thing that a lot of farm, farmers are doing to cover some ground, we, we've got so many guys that have flat black land and they say, oh, I just need to broadcast spread, but I want to do it accurately. What what are you finding as accurate ways to spread broadcast fertilizer? Well, 
certainly, you know, with with uh, I've certainly been more apt to use a boom style applicator, you know, and I, and I know that you know our, our floater uh, systems and, and the the flex air systems that have been used for for Case IH for a number of years, we're going through a kind of redesign and redevelop and re-release of a new applicator uh, that will allow us for for really um, uh, accurate applications as well as you know section control and all those things that help us maximize our fertilizer dollar uh and and one of the things that i've I've seen that that i really like in that flat land but but then also you know using some sort of tillage application that can help us get that fertilizer into the root zone growing area um you know ecolo tigers and you know a point that's able to to move that fertilizer around and and get it down into an area where it can be very uh, easily used and accessible by the plant that, that drives us into a good topic, and I want you to expand on that just a little bit because we've gotten a lot of questions this year. Guys said, man, I had ruts in my field, or it was a little uneven when I worked it. Can we spread on uneven ground and, and work it in, or do we need a pre-pass to kind of get the land pretty good, and then then yeah. we're easier? it's easier for us to, to mix and be a little more accurate? <laughs> well, it depends if the... If the if the uh, the ruts are deep enough and the and the booms won't stay on the machine, they they break off. That's <laughs> the problem. But, but uh, you know, it 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 really comes down to the conditions that the applicator wants to go through. I think because they're 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 pretty uh, they're pretty versatile. Um, but but generally, you know, it's it's a spread pass, and then you know we we can use our, our tillage pass to be able to to smooth off, but then again also move that uh, that fertilizer to the root zone growing area. My dad had always told Brian and me that he he figured if he was tilling at four inches, he was getting a great mix down two inches. Uh, what's your feeling on that? Do, would you say a majority of the fertilizer is going to be uh, about half the depth of the tillage, or do you think you're moving quite a bit of the stuff from the surface down deeper? Yeah, you know, like when you look at something like a, an Ecolo Tiger or a combination-style ripper where, where the blades in the front are going four, five, six inches deep uh, and then using a, a point uh, or winged point that's going to be breaking compaction, you know, at 10 or 11 maybe. You know, I, I think that, that that rule of probably six, seven, eight is, is probably where you're ending that up at, uh, which is I, I generally see that's where we apply for strip till and, and most of our applications. And I think that's, uh, that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb, um, half, uh, maybe three-quarters of the distance down. How about for seedbed prep? As we're tilling in some of the the fertility applications and manure and different things that guys are putting out in the fields, uh, how do you leave that seedbed in great shape? What do you find? Do you have a favorite tool that you like to to try and level things off on the back end? Um, yeah, I guess two things there. One's one's on what we do on our farm. I guess uh, we do have a, a dairy that's right close to us, uh, and we normally get two to three hundred acres of, of manure uh, every year from, from this, uh, this dairy, which is applied normally with a, 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 a strip-till type applicator and an umbilical. Um, and, and normally we're coming back after that application in the spring with a field cultivator. Um, you know, a field cultivator is what I consider the, and, and we consider the, the premier seedbed tool. Really nothing creates a seedbed quite like what a field cultivator does. It's, it's, it's the best, we feel. And, um, man, I, I think that that's just a solid product for leveling because you may have a little bit of, you know, a few ruts and it may be just a little bit rough and that's going to be the product that's going to level, um, probably about the best, uh, and, and 
really, I would say that that's the way to go. You know, the next option could be, you know, a, a disc harrow, I think, or vertical tillage tool that's able to move and, and, and level. Um, and then certainly a, a product like our new speed tiller, the, the high-speed disc that can get across it fast. Probably not quite level as well as what a fuel cultivator does from top to bottom, but still has a, a pretty high-quality seed bed. Yeah, we get a lot. We're getting a lot of comments about the high-speed discs anymore. So that that yeah. seems to be a, a tool that's getting to be more popular out there uh, each year. Yeah. Been been talking with Chris Larson with Case IH. Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate you calling in. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy holidays, Darren. I really appreciate you. And 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 uh, be safe out there, everyone. If you're still out harvesting. Yeah, good, good point there. There's still a lot of guys out in the field or hoping to get back in the field in some areas and. Wow, we're sure thinking about you, no doubt about that. Talking about fertilizer placement and timing, we'll get back into that conversation right after this break and take your calls as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. We started utilizing the Dual React system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit headsupst.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide. Brand new chemistry. Three no-excuse modes of action. Zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. 
AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Wow, yesterday we had a great guest on from Montana State University, and would you believe it? Back-to-back days with another great guest from Montana, uh, Clayton Jones on right now. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? We're doing great. We're doing great. Yeah, we had an interesting discussion about wheat, of all things. I can't imagine anybody in Montana knows anything about wheat, right? No, we don't grow any out <laughs> The other thing is fertility, and we're talking today about placement and timing. And I just think about some of the challenges with weather and the crops that you grow in Montana uh, this is not an easy topic for a lot of farmers in your area. No, it's something everybody struggles with, especially when we're in a, you know, mainly a 12 to 15 inch rainfall zone. So Mother Nature doesn't help us move our nutrients to the roots very well out here. Okay, so let's talk about that. I think sometimes when we, we just assume we're going to be dry, and we're guilty of this in South Dakota where we farm sometimes too. Oh, yeah, we're going to be dry so we can get away with, uh, and you name the the sin of fertilization, like broadcasting urea and leaving it on top of the ground. Do you have a big issue with volatilization in your state? We do. My colleague Rick Engel has studied it for about six years, and has found losses up to 44%, I believe averaging somewhere around 18%, and broadcast urea is still our number one placement technique. So guys are losing quite a bit of nitrogen to the to the air. You know, the other thing that I see a lot, too, in these dry areas is putting everything on at once. And I, I, don't, I apologize, my brother wasn't able to be on the show today, but I know he would be arguing with me at this point. He'd say, oh, Darren, we're in dry country. We've got to get it out there early or we won't get rainfall to make it available later on. Do you find the in-season nitrogen applications are giving a benefit? Are you able to get that nitrogen available for the crop in season? When farmers do apply nitrogen in season, it really depends, again, on on what Mother Nature delivers. And so if they put on nitrogen, say, well before flowering, we almost always get rain to push that into the root zone. But if they put it on, you know, around flowering, a lot of times we just don't get rain, and so that, that is a problem out here in a semi-arid area. Well, I know a lot of guys like to push that window, and, and uh, they're shooting for protein uh, most of the time. I guess the guys I talk to, anyway, they're shooting to try and boost protein. Uh, so they're pushing it as late as they can because they want late availability. But uh, I guess your argument would be we're pushing it too far. Uh, some some people do, and I still think holding holding off and seeing how much rain we get is a great way to go. If people put it all on in the spring and then it's dry, uh, they end up wasting some of that nitrogen. Sure. So I recommend a conservative pre-plant rate. Then if it does rain and grain proteins are premiums are high, put on a little bit before flower. Yeah, I'm along the same lines as you. I know uh, my brother gets a little bit more aggressive on that than, than I do, but that's just one of those balances in a farm operation that you get a few different decision makers involved and, and all of a sudden, all right, well, we'll do a few acres this way and a few that way. And, and we do learn some lessons this way. And I know you do a lot of research as well. Uh, I've been talking about nitrogen mainly. How about phosphorus? You know, in a in a dry climate with heavier soils, and, and we certainly fall in that boat too, 
we don't get phosphorus to move much, and it's a challenge because we don't want to do a whole bunch of tillage, but we almost find that we have to do a little bit or at least inject the phosphorus in a, a couple of inches, if nothing else, to try to get it down in the soil. What are some of the strategies guys are doing in Montana? You know, most producers here now have direct seeders. Uh, most are no-till, and so people are generally just putting their phosphorus down with the seed. And certainly in a higher yield goal or yield potential area, that becomes a problem because it's hard to put, you know, too much down. But most of our guys are putting down about 25 pounds of P205 per acre, and they're able to put that, you know, with or near the seed, and that seems to be the best approach for maximizing yield. Yeah, it's it's a challenge, and I know we, we've really spent some time on our farm trying to build phosphorus levels up a little bit because they were kind of low, and historically in our area, they, they are a little lower. Uh, one other thing that's kind of gotten lower over the last few years has been sulfur, and I know we've sure seen a response in corn and soybeans, and we aren't huge wheat producers here on our farm, but we've seen a difference in our wheat too. How are guys attacking this this sulfur deficiency or this sulfur need for their crops? What I'm seeing is more more guys are putting on sulfur again as a pre-planter with the seed. Either they're broadcasting ammonium sulfate or they're putting down a mix of elemental sulfur or sulfate with with the seeds. Sometimes it's products that, that have both sulfur forms in them. And they're putting down, you know, on the order of about 5 to 10 units, which meets most of our sulfur needs except for canola, where you need closer to 20 units. You know, you've got pulse crops, too, that are growing in your area. What are you seeing with the pulse crop guys? Are they doing anything significantly different than they are on the other crops? You know, it's interesting. It seems they're they're backing off a little bit on nutrients. I think there's kind of an assumption that if your wheat crop and barley crop have enough nutrients, your pulse crop does because it's shallower-rooted and doesn't yield as, as high. But uh, with you know, phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur all affecting nitrogen fixation. I still encourage a little bit of seed-placed blend of those three three nutrients. All right. Speaking about uh, that nitrogen process, and we hear a lot of guys talking about boron as well. Uh, what's happening with boron and with some of these other micronutrients in Montana? You know, we haven't done much research on them. There is some work out in eastern Montana where a foliar application of micronutrients has caused some pretty large increases in pea yields, at least in in wet years. But uh, borons, you know, as you know, pretty tricky. If you get too high, uh, say near the seed, you can cause toxicity. Too low, it can affect nitrogen fixation. But I haven't seen uh, work, you know, specific to pulse crops on boron. Yeah, that, that would be, be interesting to see uh, what's happening there. I know we've been doing a lot of work uh, more in corn and soybeans on our farm than, than other crops, but yeah, it's been a fun one to play with. You you got to dial that one in just right, and nobody seems to know exactly what what that means to be just right. Not too much and right. not too little. Yeah. That's, that's tough. The Goldilocks boron. <laughs> okay, uh, talk to us about spring versus fall. And I know uh, this fall might have been a little bit different in your area, certainly different in North Dakota. Uh, those guys had uh, a lot of moisture, especially as you went east in the state. How did Montana turn out, and do you normally see fertility applications going on in the fall? So we had a, a very cold, wet 
uh, late September and early October, and because of our late start, because of a wet, cold spring, unfortunately, a lot of grain ended up uh, staying in the field. And so we, of course, had sprout issues. Uh, we had mold issues. And in northeast Montana, um, some of that crop is still sitting out there. As far as fall versus spring, the the winter wheat producers tend to put their fertility on in the, the fall, often, you know, with the seed, sometimes broadcasting nitrogen in the fall. Our research here shows that we get better nitrogen use efficiency if they wait until spring. There's less chance for leaching, less chance for microbial tie-up. And then, yeah, most of our, most of our crops are spring crops, um, probably close to 60% of our crops are spring crops, so there the, almost all of the fertility is going on in the springtime. Yeah, it's interesting. As you travel around the world talking to wheat growers, there will be some that want to put everything up front, and there's others that say, oh, no, don't put hardly any nitrogen up front. You want to save that till later. Otherwise, you just end up with a lot of tillers. Do you, do you see that debate happening in Montana, too? I've certainly heard that debate. The, the other issue that goes back to your first question that we found is if they hold off and wait till spring, there's a better chance that any urea that's been surface broadcast is pushed down into the soil, which essentially stops volatilization. So there has been some migration to spring application of urea, in part because of our research that shows a lot lower losses in the spring than in the fall. Well, it certainly is different farming in a drier part of the country, uh, like up in Montana. We're real happy to have Clayne Jones on with Montana State University. Thank you so much for being on, and uh, have a Merry Christmas. Happy to be on. You too. Been talking about fertility, placement, and timing, and we're going to dive into a little more of that and your questions too. Stay tuned. There's a new authority in town. New Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines the best-in-class Group 14 PPO herbicide with the newest Group 15 herbicide for lasting residual control of water hemp, palmer amaranth, kochia, pigweed, and other tough-resistant weeds. This exclusive liquid premix of single-application chemistries protects your soybeans from pre-plant to harvest. It also protects your bottom line. Authority Supreme Herbicide qualifies for the agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Rule your soybean fields with more authority than ever before with Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC. More powerful preventative control isn't on the horizon, it's here. Visit your FMC retailer or fmccrop.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions, restrictions, and precautions for use. Authority Supreme Herbicide is not registered for sale or use in California. FMC and Authority are trademarks of FMC Corporation or an affiliate. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. 
Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco Vilify and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco Vilify and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. You got my brother Brian now joining us by phone to uh, catch the last part of the show here. Brian, uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> uh- Sure. <laughs> you're I'm now you're now a guest. I'm not, you're not exactly normally joining us. No, you're, anyway, go ahead. You're now a guest <laughs> caller here. So uh, we've been talking fertilizer placement and timing. Again, a little bit of feedback on Twitter. Uh, I guess let's jump into the Ag PhD mailbag, Janelle. We'll just throw those questions right in there. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Got one from Bob in West Virginia, and he said, uh, you guys have talked about nitrogen, you talked about sulfur a little bit. I'm wondering if for your farm you found an ideal ratio of nitrogen to sulfur that you're applying in a single application. Well, I would just say it's probably in the 6% to 8%, maybe 10% kind of range for nitrogen to sulfur. But the big thing is a lot of people are super focused on nitrogen, and not really thinking a lot about sulfur. So I would just encourage you, if you have very low soil test levels of sulfur, um, you need more. Somehow, some way, just get more sulfur out there. And is it nice when it goes together with the nitrogen? Yeah, a lot of times it is. So when we're adding nitrogen, we would prefer to throw some sulfur with that, but you could certainly do it separately. You can have you know a big application of sulfur early if you have heavy soil. You just have to keep in mind that both of these are leachable. It's just that sulfate leaches at about half the rate as nitrate from everything that all the research I have seen. In other words, um, you have to worry about losing nitrate pretty quickly and sulfate not quite as quickly. So that's why sometimes you can get by with making one application of sulfate and it would take an additional application of nitrate because you're worried about the nitrate isn't going to last in my soil. Hey, great question, Bob. Really appreciate that. And good luck to you here uh, heading into next season. I uh, got one from Alan, Tennessee. He said, guys, we've tried a lot of different things when it comes to nitrogen. You were mentioning 
putting on nitrogen in season versus putting it all on up front. Our experience has been we've been putting some up front, some on in a side dress with either a shank or a coulter, but we've always ended up with erosion with some of the hilly land that we farm. So we've switched to Y drops now. We've avoided the issue of erosion, uh, but we aren't sure if we're getting everything into our crop or if we're losing some to volatilization. Got a few questions for you. First of all, would you recommend using some sort of stabilizer with our Y-Drop application? And then secondly, what percentage of nitrogen would you leave in your program for a V5 to V7 application? Okay, great questions. First one, would I put a stabilizer with it? I would not if I'm not putting on a high rate and rain is imminent in the next 48 hours. Now, if I don't, if I'm not sure on the rainfall thing, then I'm much more likely to need that stabilizer. And if I'm putting on a very high rate, well, now I might actually have to worry about a different type of loss rather than volatilization. I might have to worry about leaching if I'm putting on a very high rate. In other words, enough for the next two months or something like that. So those are the factors that I would look at. In terms of uh, the other question, this really depends on your soil type, your rainfall, and what you deal with in your area. Here's where I'm going with this. If I'm, let's say, farming in Alabama, and I have a 4 CEC, and I normally get 100 inches of rain, and I'm irrigating, <laughs> I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to put nitrogen on every two weeks all through the growing season because my soil can't hold it, and whenever I put nitrogen on, it's going to move down. Now, on the reverse, or in the flip side, like here in South Dakota where we farm, we have very heavy ground, usually very little rainfall. And so because of that, if I wait and I put a high percentage of my nitrogen on later, it might not get to the plant because I don't have enough rainfall to move it to the plant in my heavy soil. That's my biggest concern. And so it's going to vary depending on, on you. And for me, I will say this, this fall, and the same thing with last fall, but this fall, the nitrogen levels left from soybeans were ridiculously low because we had record rainfall in the fall. So, I mean, there's five pounds out there, maybe 10, and normally we're going to count on 40 or 50 for the next crop. That's usually what guys will figure coming out of soybeans. They'll say, oh, soybean credit. There is no soybean credit this year. Absolutely zero. There, there is no nitrogen left in that ground or five or 10 pounds. It's nothing. So you can't figure anything. And where I'm going with this is I need to now bump my nitrogen rates by 40 pounds or 50 pounds in the spring compared to what I normally would just to get back to even. And I definitely don't want to do that at side dress. I need to make sure because I'm in a low rainfall environment in heavy soil, I know I'm not going to leach it out. I know I, I'm not going to have so much rain that that causes a problem. What I'm worried about is do I get the rain later if I apply it later? So that's what I'm gonna, what's going through my head. And for me, I'm going to put more on early than normal because there's so little left in the ground. All right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that, Al. Uh, again, got a few questions here from Michael in Iowa. And Michael said, I was all set to put on one and a half to two tons of lime per acre on my ground until I listened to your show. And you said, don't overdo the lime. 
So I'm attaching my soil test results for you. These are five acre grids, not the one acre grids that you were talking about. And unfortunately our ground's getting too hard now for me to pull one acre grids. Uh, but looking sure. at my soil samples in five acre grids, about half of my grid points are between five, seven and five, nine. My CEC okay. is around 20 and about a fourth of my tests are in the six to six, three range. And the other fourth is in the <laughs> six, three to seven. So I've Ooh. got a part of my yep. farm that needs it, but I'm a little nervous now with my grid points yep. only being five acres. What would you yep. recommend? What should I wait until I can one acre? And then my other question is, uh, I've got a, a wide variance in uh, pricing from Lime. Uh, one location's Lime ECC to E test is eleven forty eight. The other eleven oh nine. But but there's a four dollar an acre difference between the two. Is sure doesn't seem like a big difference in ECCE. Is four dollars an acre more important? Okay, so first of all, what would I do? Um, yeah, I would most likely do one acre grids and wait. But in in our situation, we don't typically see our pH is dropping fast. So let's put it this way: if you're in an area where you go look. I got a lime once every five years, otherwise my pH keeps dropping. And you're putting on lots of nitrogen, you're doing lots of things to drive pH down, then I'm not so worried about it. We don't have that situation though. So I, when we overdo it, boy, we, we have to now spend money and force that pH back down. So that's my problem. The second thing is, what I would look at is with your five acre grid, if you say, all right, well, the south half of my field, every single five-acre grid in the south half of my field is all in that low range around 5.7 to 5.9. Now I feel more comfortable. But if it's interspersed where it's, okay, well, one grid is 5.7, the next grid is 6.8, the next grid is 6.1, and it's all across the board, now you got me scared. Now I say, ooh, in that situation, I just, I, I can't bring myself to spend money on Lyme anymore. I really can't. I wouldn't do it. But if every, every grid point was, every five acre grid next to each other was all low on one side of the field or something, then yeah, I'd go Lyme. But when I did it, I'd, I'd keep my rate down just in case. And then in the future, I'd go to some small grids to see how I'm really doing for, for everything before I go spend money online. Because all I can tell you is, and if you didn't hear our conversation the other day, we overdid it online, cost us yield, uh, cost us money in the lime, cost us money in elemental sulfur to drive the pH back down, and that was all dumb followed by dumb followed by more dumb. If we just would have started in the first place and done one-acre grids and only put the lime on we needed and let it do its job and break down over a three-year period, we would have been fine, but we didn't do that. So learn from our stupid mistake. In terms of which is most effective, or, uh, cost effective, typically I'm going to take the one that's higher ECCE, even if it costs uh, just a little bit more. But, you know, it's, I, I, I could almost go either way. I, I really want to look at those tests and see what I thought. Always remember with lime and with elemental sulfur, a fine, fine grade. That is what we're after. We need small particles you get the most change and most bang for the buck. Yep, totally agree on that. We like the small particles. We like getting things to turn in our soil quickly rather than putting out um, something that only made it through uh, a great big sieve. We, we like the 100 mesh and that kind of thing. Then we know we're going to get quick activity. Uh, 
had a fun show today talking about fertilizer placement and timing. I'm sure we'll bring that topic up again as we get towards spring. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.